0: Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Hey again, welcome home to Sugar Hill Church. My name is Chuck and I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And welcome to week three of a series called The Climb. Every person I know is on some kind of climb. We're on a climb for a better job. We're on a climb for a spouse. We're on a climb for a mate. We're on a climb to get our children raised. We're on a climb to be able to pay for our kids to go to school. We're all on a climb. We're on a climb to get fit or to get healthy, or we're on a climb to get spiritually fit. We're on a climb to find a church. Everybody I know is on a climb. And yet, in the middle of the climb, don't you find that there are times that it's just exhausting, you want to stop, and it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of climbing. I just need to, take a, I need to take a break. And yet it feels like if you stop, there's a boulder going to run over you. You ever feel that way? It's just like you, no matter what you do. So it, we have been trying to create a series of tools for you uh, since January 1, and we'll continue to the end of this month where, uh, where there's a weekday podcast. It's five or six minutes, Monday through Friday. It just takes a piece of scripture and gives you a little thought, uh, a journey to kind of get you on the way for your day, for your daily climb. There's a weekday uh, blog. It's about 600 words. It'll take about seven minutes to read. It's every Monday through Friday. Uh, there's a four for Friday. It comes out every Friday with a resources recommendations for you to be able to to climb and continue the journey and then of course replays from uh, the teaching here on sunday mornings and so we call that a resource hub you can find it at Church slash the climb and all those resources are available there you can subscribe to them or you can uh, uh, you can just go to the app and pick them up or the website and pick them up and so i encourage you to do that um, most everybody i know know needs to have the right tools and equipment and encouragement to complete the climb. It's it's a bit of a big deal. So I invite you be a part of that and and but let's get at it today. In our climb, there are seasons indeed where we feel like we are losing the climb. We're we're going backward instead of forward. Uh, When Benj and I were on the AT, one of the things we knew is this, we never wanted to have to reclaim territory again. On uh, the last time we were out there, we were hiking out on this kind of old logger road that was off of the Appalachian Trail. And we were headed toward a guy that was gonna pick us up. And uh, we were about a mile down this uh, downhill uh, logging road. And I'm telling you, it is so dry and so dusty that every time you take in a breath, I mean, I now know how smokers must feel, except this was dirt, you know, it was just crazy. And I'll never forget, I laughed so hard because he busted it right toward the end of that mile. And he's usually not the one that falls, I am. And just for the record, he always laughs at me. And so I had this opportunity, and I was going to take full advantage of it, you know. So being the merciful, uh, gracious, kind pastor I am, uh, not only did I laugh at him, I used the same phrase he did with me. You idiot! And it felt so good. It just blessed my heart. And so, Benj, thank you for that opportunity. You you helped me out, buddy. Um, But one thing we learned is you never want to have to reclaim territory you've already hiked. You don't want to have to go back and keep learning lessons. You don't want to play Mother May I climbing a mountain. You don't want to have to get halfway up on a mountain and go back, you know, uh, 100 yards and reclaim the territory. You want to stay and keep going on the climb. But there are times when it just gets unbelievably difficult. Have you ever been in a part of your season where it's just you're on a hamster wheel you can't get off? Life's out of control. And it feels like, and it's usually not this case, but it feels so overwhelming that family's out of control, work's out of control, emotions are out of control, health is out of control, and just... We try to fix it in so many different ways. Uh, some of us over-serve ourselves uh, with a little something. Uh, some of us medicate ourselves with something else. Some of us go to see multiple doctors to get medication to help over ourselves with both those things. Some of us go see a counselor, a therapist, or a pastor. Some of us just kind of gossip and talk with everybody else to get the, the attention off of them onto somebody else. But we, we all have our method of trying to figure out how to cope with it. Today, I'd like to give you three ways in which I believe when life is out of control and the climb seems to be unattainable and the summit seems to be impossible. What three things can we learn from the word of God? What three things can we learn from the life of Jesus that would give us direction and clarity? Now, uh, a lot of these resources that we've provided over the last three weeks are things like grit. You got to go, you charge, do it. You can make it happen, right? Some of them are, uh, you know, be be contemplative, have a plan, know the directions, spend time in planning, get your gear in order. I mean, those kind of things. But but today we want to take kind of an old look at some new problems. When I was a kid, I remember when we would have fire drills at elementary school, you learned three words and I still can hear them. And what are they? Stop, drop and yeah, you know at the time I'm thinking roll. What in the world, you know? And then they show you the pictures of the guy in fire, you know he's on fire and then he rolls and he's not on fire anymore. I you know what? Let me tell you something. If I'm on fire, I'm not thinking stop, draw, and roll. I'm saying, somebody get it off of me! Right, When not you? But that's what they teach you, stop, draw, and roll. Of course, I'm old enough to remember that, you know, if, if there's something nuclear happen, get underneath one of those little desks. I'll never forget even a kid thinking, that ain't gonna help. Seriously. Atomic bomb goes off, you know, in Snellville, Georgia, we're all dying. Like desk or no desk, you know, not gonna happen. But you know, I also remember when you went outside for the fire drill, it was never 72 with a light breeze. When, I mean, how did they pick that day? It is sleeting, you know, it is pelting you. It's time for a fire drill. Well, why do we have to do it today? Cause it's on this calendar, right? The, the climb of life isn't like that. No matter what the calendar is, there are things are gonna happen where you gotta, you gotta figure out and step one is stop. When life is chaotic, when the schedule's out of control, when the family's out of control, when the relationships are in trouble, number one, stop. Because you see, if you don't get off the path long enough to figure out where you need to get back on and the pace in which you need to get back on, you will absolutely burn up and you'll never finish well. Now, there's some of us in this room where, and I'm one of you, where the first thought I've got is put my head down and keep plowing, make it happen and just keep going. You know what I have learned now? Doesn't work. There are some things you can plow your way through, but there, there are other things you you're just keep plowing away. And you know what happened? You're hitting the same concrete wall and you just keep hitting. Now, there's some of you that retreat from it. There's a problem and I just, you know, I don't want to deal with it. But, you know, it's still there. Or there's some of us that, that our first inclination, let's talk about it. You know, there are others of us that our first thought is, OK, let's let's build a bomb and blow it up. We're kind of all over the board in how, how we confront these, but I believe the single best thing we do when our life is chaotic and out of control is to stop. You know what one of the most uh, wonderful lessons I've learned in adulthood? Busyness rarely equals godliness. Being busy rarely equals living for God. Busyness just makes us feel like we're doing something. Sometimes what we've got to do is get out of our busy mode and get into our stop mode. Listen to what John chapter 14 verse 27, this is Jesus as he's he's speaking. And this is what Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now this is the text, if you've ever been to a funeral that I've done, I've used this text in every single funeral. You know why? Because if ever there's been somebody or a group of people that are troubled, they're sitting in a funeral. Now, whether they know that their loved one has gone on to be with the Lord or whether they're not sure, their their hearts are still troubled. Grief brings trouble into our heart. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, before I go through the rest of the text, I want to make sure you get this. That term, let not. All right, don't miss this. The only way to be able to apply text appropriately from the scriptures today is to understand the context in which it was written then. So the context in which Jesus is speaking these words to these folks in his original Aramaic language would have sounded like this. Do not let trouble into your life. What Jesus is saying here is not, hey, hey, uh, You've you got to deal with it. When it gets to what he's saying is stop inviting it. Now, he's not saying you're not going to have trouble. If anything, he's, he's directly saying trouble's coming your way. Becoming a follower of Christ and choosing to follow the path of Jesus doesn't eliminate trouble. If anything, it assures that you're on a path of trouble. The difference is it's a path that he's going to carry you through and you don't have to do it alone. But what he's saying is stop inviting trouble into your heart. If you're in, if you have a relationship that is constantly robbing you of the joy of the Lord, stop letting that trouble into your heart. If you're dealing with an addiction that keeps your heart from being settled on the things of God, deal with that addiction. Stop inviting it into your heart. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Because see a troubled heart is always a heart that is afraid. A troubled soul is a a soul that is afraid. This is anxiety at its best. And then he says, I am leaving you with a gift. Man, it, our gift's not great. I mean, gifts, gifts, gifts are just awesome. Like we, we went to dinner uh, last night with the fig pens and we haven't really connected since Christmas. And so, uh, and so Rusty gave me a gift. And you know what? I, I saw it and my eyes lit up. You know what I thought? It was like a four-year-old again. Let's delay Christmas like this all the time so that somewhere by the end of January, there's still another gift. That's awesome. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a gift. And that gift is designed for your troubled and afraid heart. For your fearful and for your troubled soul, I'm going to give you a gift. And this gift is designed to cure that. Now, here's the beauty of what Jesus is saying here. Don't stop inviting trouble and fear into your life. I'm going to leave you a gift designed just for you. And that gift is going to take care of the trouble and the fear. Is this not beautiful? But now, watch this. Most preachers, as a matter of fact, most every preacher I know, what they love to do is make a universal diagnosis that we all have the same problem, and to some degree, that's true. But where we blow it is we assume that everybody out here has the same solution. In some ways, that's true. Because at the end of the day, we're all addicts to sin. We're all sinful by nature. We all need Jesus, he is our only hope and way. But once we get past that, it is such a unique DNA within you. Your trouble, your fear is as unique as your DNA. The way you cope with your trouble and your fear is as unique as your DNA. So when Jesus says, I've come to give you a gift, here's what he's saying. He's not coming to say, hey, all you peeps, I've come to give you the same gift. What he's come to say is, hey, Ron, I've come to give you a gift to deal with your troubled and fearful heart. Now, you're saying, I want that. I, I, I want that. Angie, I've come To give you a gift to deal with your troubled and fearful heart. And across the room, he calls each of you by name. And he says, this is what we're going to do. And listen to what the gift is. A gift of peace of mind and heart. How many times have you heard around here? When we don't have peace, we make bad decisions and we ruin relationships. And when peace is sitting on the throne of our heart, when when our heart and our soul and our minds are at peace, you know what happens? We love and we lead and we serve well. So this is why Jesus comes and says, I wanna give you this gift. And this gift is for your troubled heart, for your fearful heart, for your anxiety riddled soul. I'm going to bring you peace of mind, peace of heart. And then he says, and the peace I give you is a gift that this world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. He's saying, so everything else that you're trying to do to fix that, that you you might could band-aid it. You might could mask it. You might could Febreze it. But you can't cure it unless you receive my gift. And my gift, I want to bring you is peace. And peace is only found in the presence and the power of Jesus as he's actively alive in our daily walk and in our hearts. You know, when you take Febreze out, uh, what is Febreze designed to do? Is it, it, when you squirt Febreze in your house or, or on, on your carpet or wherever you use Febreze, when you squirt it on there one time is the assumption, chair is never gonna smell again. I don't care how stinky that dog is that sits in our chair. Chair's never gonna smell again. You know why? Squirt it. You know, you know what you do? You keep the Febreze sitting by the chair you squirt the dog and the chair. (laughs) If it's my dog, you shoot the dog and clean the chair, then squirt the chair. Or at least that's what's going on in your mind. But now think about this. Jesus isn't saying, I've come to give you Febreze. I've come to give you peace. That although you cannot understand it, it will overcome a fearful and a troubled heart and a mind and a soul. He said, let not. Now, the psalmist over in the Old Testament in Psalm 131 says in verse 1 and 2, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. You know what? I... Whether you breastfed your kids or you bottle-fed your kids, I I remember as a new dad, uh, e- even in those middle of the nights, like you've got to be kidding me nights. I remember holding my little girls, and you 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 wrap those babies up so they feel so comfortable and peaceful and at ease, and they the screaming for food would stop the minute that bottle got in and that baby, I could, I could watch them just go like, Aww. And as they were leaning up against my chest, they could hear my chest beat. They could hear my heart. And I look back now and I think that's the greatest thing I've ever done. How cool is that? And then I got to do it with grandkids. If I'd have only known how cool that would be, I just never would have had kids. I'd have gone straight to grandkid. (laughs) Because at about the time your kid turns 23, it is so hard to remember what that was like and the sweetness of it. And what the psalmist is saying to us is, Like a little baby desperately needs a mama to hold it safely to ensure it's warm and it's calm and it's safe. And they're, they're rubbing their little, little tummy to keep themselves calm and they're singing with them and they're rocking gently. And that food is going into their little bellies. The psalmist is saying, that's how we come before the Lord. Let him pick you up and wrap you in those clothes and hold you close to so you can hear his heartbeat as he feeds you the nourishment for your soul and your mind, especially when it's troubled and when it's fearful. This is what the psalmist is talking about. I, I liken it to uh, all the falter all around D.C. this week. is uh, it, It's been fun, troubling, encouraging, weird, all at the same time. But part of it, in watching that, I, I had this thought that, um, I can't imagine what it would be like to walk into the Oval Office and have that pressure or that privilege. But then I realized, wait a minute, I do have that privilege. I, I, I actually do. I don't, I don't get to just walk into the President of the United States of America's Oval Office. I walk into the divine creator and sustainer of all life. I walk into the CEO, the president, and the king of the universe. I get to walk into his office like a little boy that is growing up in the White House of the universe. I get to run by the secret service. I get to go past the attorney general. I get to go run by and kind of laugh at the chief of staff. And I need to, I can run up and jump into the king of the universe while he sits on his throne and let him pull me up to him where I hear his heartbeat and know he's got me. This, this is what happens when we stop. But it also caused me to do a second thing when life is out of control. I don't just stop for that. I drop. And I drop in a posture of prayer and meditation to my knees where I am in awe and in reverence of a God who loves me when I don't deserve it. A God who loves me when I think I deserve it. And most importantly, a God who loves me with a never ending love, who will be passing down that generation to me and my children and my grandchildren, for we cannot do anything to make him not love us. I I drop and I get in a posture of reverence and a posture of awe. And you know what that reverence feels like? God, I so desperately need you. You are the only one that can fix my troubled soul, That, that, that can fix my anxiety riddled mind, that can bring peace to my weary soul. You are the only one and I am so in awe that you would do that for me. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. I'm like, Paul, that's easy for you to say, bro. But clearly he was. But he's saying, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That right there, it, if you could just take that one piece of scripture and say, Chuck, what do you desperately want for Sugar Hill Church? That we would stop worrying about anything, but we would pray about everything. He goes on and says, Go ahead. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart, guard your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying all of these things, you can't climb your climb without peace. And you can't find find your peace unless you stop and drop. In a sense, where we get into a posture where we are ready indeed to take on an attitude of faith, a posture of reverence, and a position of awe. Because he is God and we are not. Do you really think God's walking through the hallways of heaven going, Oh, protesters. Do you really believe the creator of all the universe is walking through the hallways of heaven going, Oh. He tweeted something stupid again. You see, he's in control. They aren't. Which one do you look to your help from? Because while while government can do many things, both well and poorly, God is where we find peace when we stop and we drop. And it just gets better. Grab hold of your present and stop fighting your past, because peace is what's going to guarantee your future. There are a lot of us sitting here today, and we're so guilt-ridden over our past, we can't grasp what the hope is for tomorrow because we're so beat up from what we've done in our past. Here's the great news. If you want done with your past, Take the advice that both Paul, the psalmist, and Jesus gave in these texts. And it sounds like this. Jesus, I have so radically screwed up so many things. Would you forgive me of those things so that I could have hope that tomorrow might be better? Because if you believe he both hears and answers those prayers, why on earth would you not start there? You see, prayer is either your very first action to take action, or prayer is like a stairmaster sitting in the corner of your bedroom collecting the dry cleaning that needs to go on Friday. Prayer is either something that you genuinely believe you can step into the oval office of the universe and climb into your heavenly father's lap, have a conversation with him so closely that you can fear, feel his heartbeat, You believe it is some distant, ethereal God that you're just mouthing words like a chant or a mantra. But if you believe that you believe that what Jesus says, the psalmist says, and Paul said, when you look at this, you would say, oh, my stars, there is hope for tomorrow. When I let tomorrow go and when I cling today to the one who can give me hope for tomorrow. This is what it looks like. Firmly grab hold of your present and trust the divine for your future. Paul writes in a chapter earlier, in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters. I mean, that whole term, brothers and sisters, is still creepy to me. But again, context then was this. They just had a new formed understanding that as new followers of Jesus, they had been adopted into the family of God, and they were indeed joint heirs with Jesus. They were a part of the family of God. So for them to call each other brothers and sisters, it has significant understanding. Brothers and sisters, now it, 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 it can totally freak people out. Like when you, some of you uh, knew me from other church someplace or knew me some other role, and when you see me, you call me Brother Chuck. Totally creeps me out. It's like, I mean, I appreciate it, I really do, but I feel like I need to be wearing this like Franciscan monk kind of gig when you do that. You know, can you see this in that deal? Seriously? A, a, a clerical collar? Seriously? Can you, I mean, I can't, no, but I'm telling you, if I ever do wear a clerical collar, I'm getting me one of those things that you swing, it's got smoke in it. Cause that's just cool. I got to get me one of them. That's awesome. I know that was inappropriate, but I'm telling you, I think it's cool. <laughs> but this is why he writes brothers and sisters. By the way, if you're wondering then, well, what should I call you? Some of you just like, you know, because I'm a pastor, you like to say, okay, pastor Chuck, I'm cool with that. My preferred name is A-Chuck. Story for another day, but just go with it. All right? If you're, really, if you're my friend, just call me A-Chuck. Jenny just says, A. So the other day, she and, she and Samantha are playing Hangman on the iPad. And I keep hearing A. So I keep turning what? And so, like after 20 times, I realize they're not calling me. And, and Samantha looks at me. It's like, duh. You know, because she's so sweet like that. And so... <laughs> I was so off chart. Let me get back to my notes. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. I press on to reach the end of the climb and receive what? The heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus has called me. Forget the past. You cannot fix it. Start focusing on the heart that the divine has called you to be today and press on toward victory. Go get your climb on. The divine creator of the universe has equipped you for the climb. He's, he, he's equipped you, he's created you, he's empowered you. And don't let your orthodoxy, don't let what you, what somebody else who claims to be a Christian thinks keep you. Don't let whatever your childhood belief system was. Don't let anything keep you from the experiencing the joy of walking and climbing in peace without a troubled heart and with a settled soul. Trust the one who created you. Trust the one who designed you. Trust the one who cares for you. Stop to hear the divine. Drop to your knees and recognize your need for the divine. And then let him hear. There are greater days ahead, my child. I love you with a never ending love. There is a hope that abounds. There is a joy that fulfills. There is a peace that overcomes. And there is a peace that passes all understanding, no matter how many PhDs are on your wall. Because he is saying now, if you're willing to stop, if you're willing to drop, let's roll, let's go. Let's go do something. Let's go change the world. Let's go feed hungry people. Let's go clothe naked people. Let's go house people that don't have a roof. Let's go get orphans out of Haiti when we can and connect them with a family that will adopt them and love them. But until now, let's feed them. You say, well, Chuck, but I I need, I I need you right. You know, I need to stop. Okay, stop, but don't stay Stop." He didn't call you to stop so you quit. He called you to stop so you can get back on the path. Drop, not so you just stay down, but so that you can get back up. Why do I stop? Why do I drop so we can roll with the power of Christ as he goes before you? I, I trust that the Lord will bless the reading and the hearing of this word in your life today. There's a fella, uh yeah, funny name, Haldor uh, Linear. This guy was recently married uh, back in the day and he, he'd sold what instruments he had because they were trying to get an apartment he and his little wife and start life over and he bought a beat up old organ for five bucks. With that old beat up five dollar organ, he he wrote over 4,000 songs. All of them Jesus songs. But he wrote this one And the name of the song is Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And when I read these words, I thought to myself, this is how the climb is supposed to feel. Sometimes you stop, sometimes you drop, you always get back and you get back on a roll and let's go. But this is what it ought to feel. Listen to these words. Reaching to all the lost, by it I have been pardoned. Saved to the uttermost, chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled by its transforming power, making him God's dear child, purchasing peace in heaven for all eternity. And the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. And so I couldn't help but think of the text in 1 Timothy 1.14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. So now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. May all glory and praise be his and his alone. Amen, amen, and amen. Father, we are in need of you. And we long that you would give us a longing for you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I spent so much, most of my adult life, playing Christian. Oh my gosh, I am so good at playing Christian. I grew up in church. I grew up in a pastor in a church planter's home. I knew every church buzzword. Like, if you sat down and asked the questions, I could answer them, man. I was good at it. I found so little joy in my Christian walk because it was just all emotion. Church for me was what you did on Sunday. I mean, even, even early on in, in my ministry career, it was just, it was a job, it was emotion. I, I know I'm not supposed to admit stuff like that. Y'all are supposed to think I'm, I've always loved Jesus. Man, I, this climb for me is no different than yours. It can get funky, man. It was probably the first week of December. And Jenny and I have talked about this a thousand times since then, but I, I don't ever want to live December again. I, there are very few seasons in my life that I say, I, no thanks. Just no thanks to December. But I recall in one of my times of meditation, and you guys over the last few weeks have seen what that means to me, uh, I really believe the season of meditation is prayers. You just manage to like, let God do open-heart surgery on you. Get inside, get to the nitty-gritty. Just get as raw and authentic before it, as God as you can. Because frankly, he already knows all you junk. Stop trying to hide it. So I'll never forget It's like um, I'm, I am so thick-headed. I am so pig-headed. I am so stubborn. I, it was as though the Lord took a two-by-four and hit it over my head. And then realized I still didn't get it. Went back for the second one. And it was about the second when I thought, how have I never seen this in my life? How have I always asked for God to come into my life and bless me and do stuff for me and heal other people or do great things in a church? And how have I missed it? The Lord, what you want me to ask you for, you want me to have a passionate desire to run after you. That's horrible for a pastor to it? I'll never forget it. I'm sitting in my little chair where I do my meditation time, and man, I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm talking to the Lord, and it's, you know the two befores have hit me, and I haven't missed a day or an evening yet without this prayer. God, you are my rock. You are my salvation. You are my redeemer, and you are my hope. God birthed in me the most amazing desire to chase after you. And everything else can wait, but break my heart to chase after you and you alone. Not after how many people come to church. Not not, not how many people like coming to church not how many people or anything just God could you just birth me a heart to chase after you I'll never be the same again I don't ever want to be the same again I now know what it's like to chase after him. It is good, so much more than good. It is peace for a troubled soul. It is hope for a weary body. It is joy for a wounded heart. And it is clarity for a crazed mind. You say, well, Chuck, what do you want us to do with that? I don't know. I have no idea. I will tell you this. Sorry, I'm getting all snotty on you here. If I shake your hand afterwards, I promise I'll leave here and wash my hands. But listen to me. Whatever you do on your climb, Don't play Christian. Don't don't play church. Don't play prayer. Run into the oval office of the universe. Jump into your heavenly daddy's lap. Let him hold you so tight that you can feel his heartbeat. And say, dad, Would you give me such a love for you that in all ways and in all things I would chase after you and you alone and just see what he might want to do with your troubled heart and your fearful soul because his love never ends. Father, we love you. Let it be well with our soul. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.